Hello and welcome to From the Top. I'm Alexey Korolev, and in this episode, we're going to talk about dancing and disability. With its emphasis on fun and entertainment, you'd be excused to think that swing dancing is less demanding than other forms of dance. Sure, it's not ballet with its pressure and high injury rate, but it still requires levels of fitness and social ability that even some perfectly fit and socially able people may find hard to match up to. It's a difficult subject, I suppose, I mean, for, for you and for everybody. So if non-disabled people struggle when trying to enter this ostensibly carefree world, you can imagine the problems for people with physical or mental impairments. There's the lack of an appropriate language to talk about disability and the corresponding lack of inclusion in classes and events. There's public condescension, often dressed up as concern. And most importantly, perhaps, there's self-censorship and fear on the part of the disabled themselves. In this program, I meet two dancers who enjoy a healthy and fulfilling dancing life while managing their individual disabilities. My name is Johannes Priebsch and I'm a mediator and software developer and I'm a dancer also, not professionally, but I do have lots of fun dancing. I take classes regularly and yeah, I go out to social events too. But what sort of condition do you have and uh, how do you... Uh... The thing is, it's not so easy to describe because it got no name. It sometimes looks a bit like uh, multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's disease, but it's not. It's just uh, a tremor that I have, which, yeah, sometimes keeps my body shaking. You also hear it in my voice. Uh, okay, yeah, so uh, my name's Dom Eagleton. Um, I live in London, and I'm really into swing dancing. Yeah, but I was, I was born with my left arm missing from below the elbow. Um, so that means that I, obviously, I just have to dance with one hand, although I can use my little arm every now and again. And, yeah. Johannes and Dominic follow in a fine tradition. One of the members of White is Lindy Hoppers, arguably the greatest swing dance troupe in history, was a dancer called Jimmy Valentine. He had one leg and danced on a crutch. In the 1950s, Jimmy teamed up with another one-leg dancer, Peg Leg Bates. Together, they ran a best-selling tap dance show and performed on US national television. Don't look at me in sympathy. I'm glad that I'm this way. For I feel good and I'm knocking on wood as long as I can say. I mix light fantastics up with hot gymnastics. I'm Peg Leg Bates. Today, there's a distinct absence of disabled dancers in competitions and performances, but this doesn't mean there aren't any at all in the community, even though any exact figures are impossible to come by. That's not only because nobody's keeping statistics, there's another reason. Uh, with disabilities, it's often difficult to, to see them 
It's the same for my disability. You have to watch me for some time so that you can be sure I have a disability. I look like a normal person. Johannes Priebsch is a regular face at socials here in Vienna, and he often travels abroad for dancing. I asked him to describe his experience starting out. Well, for me, at the beginning, it was not difficult at all because I, uh, I had previous dance experience from the standard ballroom dances. So in the first classes, I was pretty good in respect to others who were also beginners. But yes, with the time, with getting more intermediate, I found out that it sometimes took me longer to bring a movement to perfection. So at a certain point, I, I kind of stopped at a certain level. Nowadays, I would see myself as an intermediate advanced dancer with lots of experience in social dancing. And now I feel, I feel good about my dancing, although it looks different, I think, and it also feels different for my partners. Yeah, many dance partners told me that they felt my condition while dancing, but that they could accustom to the difference and... They think it's fun to dance with me despite the different feeling you have. Do you think that uh, Vienna is any different uh, in terms of inclusion uh, than other cities in, in Europe or the world? <laughs> That's a difficult question because uh, here I'm a local. And when I go to, to other places for dancing, I'm always a foreigner. That's why it's a bit difficult to answer that question in particular. But uh, still, I think the dance community in Vienna is uh, open-minded enough to digest persons with disabilities who dance and who participate to help in organizing and doing stuff. And I haven't really felt prejudice. Uh, no, never. But um, I do see that when going abroad to foreign scene, it takes a while until new partners understand that I'm not a bad dancer, but a dancer with a disability, with a tremor, shaking. But, yeah, I got used to it, and now I love it. I love to go abroad to workshops to get to know new people, and also, yeah, to dance my style. Do you think that uh, the dancing scene is ready for an open discussion or an open debate about this? As a matter of fact, you're the first person who brought this topic up, I think.
I think it's for what I heard. I think the dancing as well as the society in general should be ready to to talk about this topic more openly because um, there are many disabled people out there. I think figures are like 5% of, of the population in general. And yes, I do believe in inclusion and I think every person should have the possibility to do whatever she or he wants to do, and that includes dancing. Also, dancing is a very good measure to improve the abilities you have. So, for example, speaking about myself, if I hadn't started to, to dance, perhaps my, my body shape, my balance and everything else wouldn't be as good as it now is. So I think dancing can help a lot in, yeah, making people's lives better. And that's not only for, so to say, normal people, but also for people with disabilities. My experience um, as a one-armed swing dancer is, in, in a strange way, I've actually found it to be to my advantage uh, rather than disadvantage. I guess the main reason for that is because it, you know, it gives me more determination um, to, you know, to get good at swing dancing. Now to Dominic Eagleton. I mean, I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, I don't know. I don't really feel that I have to prove myself or anything. Although, I mean, okay, I have to admit that, you know, one, one reason is definitely because it, there's kind of like an element of vanity to it, um, which sounds a bit odd. But if you think that, I mean, like to stand out from the crowd, right, on a, on a social dance floor, you have to be like really good. You have to be amazingly good because there's so many brilliant swing dancers out there doing amazing things. But then, you know, when I go out on the social dance floor, people sort of seem to take, you know, kind of more of an interest, really, in what I'm doing. You know, I could totally admit I like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like an element of vanity to it. But I think that does kind of spur me on to, you know, gives me more determination um, to, yeah, to, get, to get good and to sort of, you know, to con- continue doing it. Does he ever feel that some of this extra interest towards him might in fact be a disguised form of condescension. Well-meaning condescension, mind you, but still. Yeah, that's a really good point, um, because having said all that, ultimately I want to be known as a good swing dancer, you know, not necessarily a a swing dancer who has one arm. And yeah, maybe uh, (laughs) there's been a few dances that I've had where the partner at the end of the dance kind of goes, oh, wow, like, you know, that was brilliant. You know, you kind of... They might not say it, but you kind of get this kind of feeling that they're complimenting you because you've got one arm, <laughs> not because, I don't know, you've had a nice dance, you know. I mean, that's quite rare, but it, yeah, it definitely has 
happens, you know, every now and again. I mean, another thing, another kind of issue that comes up sometimes, sometimes I get a sense from like my partner, if, if they're new, I've never danced them before, you know, kind of random kind of dance. Sometimes I feel that they get a little bit anxious and don't really know what to do, like a rabbit caught in the headlights kind of thing. And, you know, that can affect the dance that you have, you know, and it can be a little, maybe a little bit disappointing. But, you know, I, I don't think that that's anybody's fault. I don't kind of blame anyone if that's their kind of um, reaction. You know, I don't think they being like that because they, you know, they want to. Like Jimmy Valentine before him, Dominic sees his disability as a way to be more imaginative in his dancing. Valentine famously used his crutch to accentuate rhythms and do spins. I mean, in a way, like, I really don't feel that having one hand is so much of a big issue for swing dancing. So, you know, when people do kind of go, wow, look at that guy, isn't that amazing? I feel a little bit like, you know, not guilty, but like there aren't that many moves that are really hard to do. Or for me, that comes on to another thing, which is another reason, you know, that I, I feel that having one arm acts as a bit of a, an advantage is that it kind of forces you to be more creative you know, to kind of innovate, it allows me to kind of explore avenues that might not have been, you know, covered so much by other dancers. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm doing a bit of that already, I, I don't know. But I think that's another kind of like really exciting aspect to it, that it basically forces me and, and my teachers as well to kind of get creative. And, and that's a really kind of actually quite an enjoyable um, element to it. Even though both Dominic and Johannes have had it relatively easy, they believe that more could and should be done to facilitate the inclusion of people with disabilities in swing dancing. The question is how? For this, as well as for lots of other things, it might do well to look to other scenes. Kenduko is a contemporary dance company based in the UK that has been exemplary in fostering an atmosphere of creativity and collaboration between disabled and non-disabled dancers. Stina Nielsen, one of Kanduko's artistic directors, told me how they go about breaking down barriers and rethinking common perceptions of art and ability. There's very patronising, very kind of overbearing, kind of do-good attitude is something that I think, from my experience, a lot of disabled feel like they get that all the time. You know, it's like, it's almost like, oh, how brilliant that you managed to get out of bed and get up, you know. And that is such a shame that our society has has fostered somehow this attitude because of course in my experience most of the people that I know are absolutely high achievers ambitious independent people that are basically you know going out to get it not despite of the disability but just because of who they are and what they are interested in doing so what we focus on in the company therefore is to make sure that when we are teaching dance or when we are creating work for the company we we try to work as clearly as possible on quality of what we do. So we might do less, but we might try to do it better because that's when people can't just go, oh, wasn't it nice that they sort of participated? Oh, wasn't it nice that they did that, but they weren't really that good. But let's, you know, that very condescending, patronizing attitude, which comes sometimes because people can't see what the skill involved is or they can't see recognizable shape or outcome. So I guess from the starting point, we have an open approach to 
all the dancers in the room being able to respond to task and finding how that works for them and their body and how they make contact or connection with others. So, you know, yes, we, for example, we might use a task where we talk about, you know, place your hand on various body parts on your partner and make that body part um, push in towards that, the hand, for example. But, you know, we could also say that very immediately, if one of the dancers doesn't have a hand, then you put another body part, you know, you don't have to be attached to that. It has to be the hand that touches, you know, it could be the end of the elbow that touches, or it could be that I use other parts of my body to make contact. So I guess in principle, this is the beginning that yes, you start with a clear task or a very clear instruction. But if you're a teacher, if you're a choreographer, you are then open to see how are the dancers in the room responding to it? And, you know, can they respond to it with another body part than what you had initially set up? But this does change the form. <laughs> you know, it changes the shape of the body or what is being created. And, of course, in contemporary dance, often there's an emphasis on this, on trying to create new forms or new shapes or movement vocabulary, movement language, movement um, expression that is... Um, idiosyncratic to each person or that is new to each person and in a way often the choreographer will put together those different languages those different expressions into the one idea or the one dance therefore you can start formulating the movement language to become specific to become a repeatable to become something you can develop and get better at it's not necessarily that it's all about just finding out new ways of moving you also find you know the techniques that you know and you finesse them you know you make them better <laughs> dancers for example that use crutches they might find they have particular methods of how to travel faster or to turn around or how they find stability or how they find um, the idea of, you know, making very clear marks, um, stable marks on the floor and moving from there. So then if a choreographer does come in and they have a very specific movement language that they are after, the dancer meets the choreographer or the teacher in the exploration of how does this work for me? And then I guess the way we then work is then we work with the choreographer and the dancer to form and shape it to the choreographer's vision. Until now, I haven't seen any encouragements or special invitation for dancing with disabilities. Johannes Priebsch again. For example, in the last years, you see lots of role switch courses. So I think it could be a good idea not to have special courses for disabled people because that's absolutely against the thoughts of, of inclusion. But uh, perhaps to make sure that also disabled people feel welcome in regular courses. Do you think that you, in a way, have a mission, that you are a, a pathfinder, that you're doing something new and that you're, uh, you know, it's, it's not only about yourself, but it maybe also about people that will come in your footsteps? Yeah, I do see myself kind of a, a pathfinder, but I, I didn't do it on purpose. 
it just came to me. And yes, I think that the group of dancers with disabilities does need role models who, yeah, just go there and, and dance. And that's basically what I'm doing. That's it for this episode of From the Top. Thanks for listening. From the Top is brought to you by Igihop. Don't you feel my lips? Don't you feel my lips? Cause if you feel my lips, you wanna feel my sound. We always welcome your comments, contributions, and suggestions, so why not drop us a line at contact at iggyhop.at or on Facebook. Our website is fromthetoppodcast.com, and if you're not a subscriber yet, subscribe now on SoundCloud, iTunes, Mixcloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast app of your choice. Take it from the top